Well, welcome. It's kind of interesting, but this is our first service in 2017, so welcome to a new year, right? Fantastic. I don't know about you, um, but I'm excited about it this new year. Um, I'm, maybe another way of saying this, there's some things from 2016 I'm ready just to release, just to let go. Anybody in that, in that house, can you think of a few things you're like, yeah, done with that year. I'm just kind of over it. I'm ready for the new one. Usually it takes me a couple months to figure out how to write the, you know, the new number, but I think I've, I'm, I'm done with 2016. So. so let's talk about, never start a sermon this way, but let's talk about New Year's resolutions. Never do what I'm about to do. I heard a couple good ones, um, a lot of funny ones. You can Google that. Don't do that now, but there's some, there's some good ones out there. But I heard a couple that were useful. A friend of mine named Hal said um, that he and his wife this year were going to make it a year of more, not a year of less. I thought, that sounds interesting. He says, as in, not let's eat less meat, but let's eat more vegetables. You get it? Subtle difference, but it makes, I think it makes a difference. Not as in, uh, let's try to spend less money, but let's have more fun kind of a thing. I thought that was helpful. I read about another one uh, online, and the writer said, instead of saying, I'm sorry this year, I'm going to resolve to make it a habit to say thank you. So in other words, instead of, hey, sorry I'm late, how about, hey, thanks for waiting? I don't know. Makes sense to me. Or instead of, sorry, I need to decline your invitation, how about, hey, thanks for thinking of me? You get the difference? Just a little. I mean, I've already, I tried it for the first two hours of the year and already failed miserably, but <laughs> sorry. No, actually, I'm not sorry. Thanks for laughing. <laughs> I didn't plan that, Carson. That just kind of came out. So these are the things we do on Sunday. But anyway, I think my uh, resolution this year is the same as last year, and I think it's because I'm hopeless at accomplishing it. But this is what I have in my mind. I want to just do one thing at a time. Think about that for a second. Like when I'm listening to you or to anyone, I just want to just listen to you, right? Not prepare for the next thing or whatever. When I'm uh, uh, listening to music, I want to just listen to music, right? And when I'm, yeah, all the vinyl spinners are like, yeah, yeah, I spent $8,000 on that thing, and I'm just going to do that for the next hour. But you get what I'm saying. When I'm doing something, I want the freedom just to do just that one thing, which think about that. Think about what how that would change how you do things. Anyway, it's about presence. That's my struggle. You know that. Um, but I'm not alone in that. So. so that's my resolve this year. You know, it's fun to make fun of New Year's resolutions, but change has to start somehow. I saw probably three marquees around town this week from churches making fun of New Year's resolutions and comparing them to some sort of, you know, mocking people's resolve or whatever. Change has to start somewhere. So that's as good a place to start as any as far as I'm concerned. But to start off the year, um, I promise next year Christmas won't fall on Sunday, and neither will New Year's Day, uh, and so we won't have to go like 12 years without seeing each other. I've been so excited just to get back into this place because um, just missing your faces. But we, uh, as, a, as a board of elders and as a staff, we decided that it would be a good thing to start off the year by just getting back to basics, right? Getting back to a conversation about just sort of who we are as a church, uh, I don't know if the title will stick. We'll find out next week because nothing sticks unless it sticks with Jen. Um, we can try to title things, but if Jen titles it different, it's going to be titled different. But here's the way I might title the series we're going to talk about over the next seven weeks. It, it, maybe it's a question of who are we and why are we here. So we're going to get back to basics uh, of, of conversation about A and C. This series will take us right up to Lent, March 5th, which will take us right up to Easter. Okay, so we're kind of plugging the things in as we go. These are the questions that I think we might be asking ourselves in the next series. So just hold space with me for a second as we think about this. What are we giving our lives to build here in Bailey 
where the sign at the back of the room says, hello, bears. It'll say that 9,000 times before I'm done today. You guys don't see that? We had frogs, right? When we had, used to, we used to meet at uh, Jackie's. Now we have a hello, bear sign. What are we doing here? What are we building, right? Is this just a cool way of doing church? Are we actually part of a kingdom venture? It's a question that keeps me up at night. What is our unique contribution to the kingdom of God here in Austin? Okay. What's ANC's DNA? How do we refocus on that DNA after nearly eight years? For those of you who are newish, how do we catch you up on who we are and get you plugged into what we're building? What are we doing here? These are questions that I ask myself. Sounds like a good place to start. Every church exists to make real something on earth that is already true in heaven. Okay, so I want us to get just, just to just to understand this connection as we jump into the word today. Every church's foundational basic ecclesiology, which is, which is just a fancy word for sort of rationale for doing church, every one of them to some degree or other, to the degree that they're on track, their goal is to make real something that's real already where the lordship of Christ is supreme, to bring that into our world and into our context, to make the reign of God tangible here and now. That's the idea, to drag the future into the present, it would be another way of saying it. When asked how we ought to pray, Jesus said this. I'm gonna read these words, then we'll pray, and then we'll jump in. Matthew 6, you know the words. We say them every time we do communion. This, then, is how you should pray, Jesus says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, and here's the word formulation, on earth as it is in heaven. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, we invite you to have your way with us this morning. Speak to us, make your word a mirror that we might see ourselves more clearly. Help us to tell our story and, and navigate our world uh, informed with your word and what you have to say this morning. In your name we pray, amen. That's the word formulation right there. That's the foundation. You can spend 100 grand on a degree and not do any better than that. That's the idea. Make something true on earth as it is in heaven. On the back of your bulletin, and if you're a regular, you haven't read it in nine months, I know that. If you're new, you read it every Sunday. You come in, you sit here at 1022, and you think, wow, there's two cars in the parking lot. Maybe we misread the website. But on the back of your bulletin, you'll see, towards the back, you'll see some of these, uh, a list of things that we see as a church, right? Um, If you're part of the membership or the partnership, if you've come through a new partner class, and we just did one recently, then these words will certainly be familiar to you. Let me summarize that list of eight things in the following way. Simply, we see a church here at ANC. Here's the church that we see. We see a church that's driven by a vision for bold and innovative unity and cooperation. That's the first piece. Next, we see a church that cares deeply about social justice. Not as a secondary department that says, this is our evangelism department. This is what we do with our surplus money. No, we see social justice as integral to who we are as a body. Another way, uh, point number three would be, we see a church that values and prioritizes corporate worship, what we're doing right now. It's important. It matters. Coming together, retelling ourselves our story as a body matters. This actually matters, right? Corporate worship, we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. We see a church that's characterized by genuine biblical community. What does this mean? This means more than just your friendships and your soccer and swim team moms. Biblical community is driven by something more profound than just the desire to hang out, 
right? Genuine biblical community is the button you push to deploy when you get the diagnosis, right? When you get that call, when you are struggling, when things are fraying at the edges, you push the button of genuine community if you've got it. That's what we're talking about. We're committed to that kind of community. We see a church that offers living examples of the work of Christ to the onlooking world. We know that a commercial and a billboard is never going to preach the gospel like you and your nine-to-five workday in your work truck doing your thing around town. That living example is part of who we are. Uh, We also see a church that empowers all believers to become fully deployed in the kingdom. I'm paraphrasing what you have on your bulletin. All people have things to bring to bear on the work of God in Austin and what God is doing through ANC and in the greater context And we see a church that empowers you to find that lane, to go with no shame to that lane and run hard where you have the greatest amount of clarity. Not carrying the guilt to be what others need you to be, what you thought you were, what you think you must do to be worthy, but finding that place, we see a church that empowers you to do that. And then finally, we see a church that seeks not only to be this kind of community, but to give birth and to nurture these kinds of communities in Austin. Now, I want you to notice something about that list of, of things we have there, that vision. It, we're not saying we have the church that does these things, okay? And this is important, all right? We're not saying we have the church as if we fully embody these things already. What we are saying is that we can see this kind of church, right? It's out there. It's just at the horizon, and we're reaching in that direction. And there's a fundamental difference because if you come in thinking that we are the church that nails all of these things, it'll take us 10 minutes to disappoint you. We see this, though, and that's fundamental, meaning it's, it's just out there. It's on the horizon. It's waiting to be built more fully every day. Think of these as these vision components that we're going to talk about from now until March 5th as, as cardinal points towards which we're aiming this community, right? We're, we're going in this direction. These are the things we want to be when we grow up is another way of saying it. There is a kingdom active in Austin. It's moving with or without us. It precedes us. It will carry on when we're gone, and we can see it. We can glimpse it, and we want to be part of it. So let me read exactly how that vision is stated, that first point right there from your bulletin. Here's how it reads. We see a church that is driven by God's vision for unity to be bold and innovative in partnering across denominations with other churches, ministries, and organizations. We believe that together we can share the good news of the kingdom of God to a hurting world, regardless of social status, ethnicity, or faith background. That may not feel like revolution to you, but that's different than any place that I have ever been. You might say, this is our cooperative posture, or technically, if you're into technical theological language, this is our ecumenical posture towards what God is up to in Austin. This is how we are going to engage other people who are engaged in the work of the kingdom here in Austin. Some of you may or may not know this, but ANC was originally conceived as a church planning venture between three organizations. Did you know that? Hill Country Bible Churches, the Austin Baptist Association, and the Free Methodist Church. And if you know those players, those players don't often line up on the same side of the ball. That's pretty innovative. It was birthed in that sense of innovation. Pretty interesting. Let me parse what this vision means for us. We clearly say that the church that we see is driven by God's vision, not ours. So as we lead this church to a large degree, our job is to constantly dial back to that vision, which is God's vision of that kind of unity. It's not coming from something that that, 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 that is buried within us. We are 
in a sense, following God's driving movement towards that. It's a unity that's way deeper than political correctness and the lack of disagreement. This is a unity that God gives birth to in the world, and we're following him as he drives in that direction. You might say our job is to stay on the vehicle, but it's being driven by something much more profound than a church that Brandon dreams of or Jason or Trey or Jen or anyone else. God is literally driving us to this point, okay? That's the first point I would say about that vision statement. Second thing is, you wouldn't think that, it's, that you'd have to uh, read the New Testament this way. If you've read the words of Jesus, you wouldn't think that unity is actually bold or innovative unless you actually tried to find someone you realized it's exceptionally rare. Any plan that realistically puts that forward and has a mechanism or a, a way to get there, by definition, is bold and innovative. It just doesn't happen. It's not what most churches are up to. It's very, very rare, and it takes incredible energy to create and defend this kind of unity, and if the last quarter of 2016 doesn't prove that point to us, I wish you could have lived it with us. This is innovative, and this is bold, this kind of relating to the greater picture of what God is doing. Third thing I would say about that vision statement, and again, you can read it. It's right there in your bulletin. If you want to follow with me, you can read it. Notice that we see partnering not only across other church groups, ready, but across organizations in general. What do I mean by this? I mean, churches aren't the only entities of God, uh, the only entities doing the work of God in Austin. Did you know that? Some people are like, yeah, I'm like, like duh. Some of you, that may, that may go off sideways in your head for a while until you can figure out. God is up to so much more than just what the churches are up to in our town. And for us to partner well with what God is doing, we're going to have to have a broader vision of what he's up to than simply looking down the barrel of what's going on Sunday mornings at 1030. Some of you, that may be controversial. For some of you, it isn't. You're ANC enough to just get that, right? There are many nonprofits doing kingdom work. We'll talk more about that later. Just know this. It's rare for churches to partner with non-church organizations without expecting something in return. Let me tell you how this goes. In boardrooms, in nice little church offices with crummy coffee and fluorescent light, that's why none of us office in those spaces, kill me, but but boardroom conversations around how the church spends its money goes like this. What's the ROI? What's the return on investment? We'll partner with that nonprofit as long as we net some families that become tithing units. Telling you, you dig deep in church and it's ugly sausage on the inside. I'm just telling you. Hopefully you don't have to, you didn't grow up in a pastor's house and this wasn't your dinner table conversation, but it was mine. It's rare for churches to partner without expecting something in return. We have a fundamentally different way of looking at the kingdom in this town. Most churches are looking for how do we justify the expense that we just spent on Easter Sunday feeding the homeless downtown. How many of those people are gonna come to our church? Do you realize how unrealistic it is to expect the homeless community uptown in Austin to ever find their way to Shady Hollow, to Bailey Bears, to an ice cold, well, little place to sit on Sunday? I'm sure they'd be familiar with sitting somewhere cold on a winter Sunday. Do you realize how silly it would be if that was our motivation? It ought to be plain to you by now that that's not what we're in the game for because our view of the kingdom is so much more broad than what happens here on a Sunday morning. I'm going to get excited because I'm excited to be here. This is my dream church. I mean that. I've, I've said that before. This is the church I've been looking for for a very long time. 
So I'm excited about that. Okay, next point. The message that we're committed to sharing is good news. And you hear me drone on about this all the time, and I'll tell you why in a second. The message, this message that we partner with other entities to, to, to move out to the broken is, is good news. Listen, this ought to be self-explanatory, but it isn't. If, it's, if our preaching is judgment and shame and guilt and condemnation, and you gotta do more, you gotta pray more, you gotta jump higher, you gotta run faster, you gotta want more, you gotta be more godly, you gotta do, if, it's, if that's our message, then we're off base because that's not the gospel. The gospel, the way it's preached here, can be lots of things, but it can never be anything less than good news. It cannot come up short in that regard. It can be expository, it can be topical, it can be funny, it can be whatever, but if it's anything less than good news, it isn't gospel. I learned that from a former employer. Ask me his name later if you're interested in Joel Osteen's name. (laughs) Or just turn on your TV in your hotel room anywhere you travel in the known solar system monthly audience of about 40 million people because he keeps it simple. You can have all kinds of critiques. That's fine with me. That's not the church I would have built either. This is the church that engages my attention and imagination. But let me tell you this. I learned something coming out of six years of hard work in theology. I learned how to simplify the gospel. If it isn't good news to broken people, it isn't the gospel, period. Thank you, Joel, for that. Next point, finally, parsing that vision statement. We've stated uh, that we see a church that doesn't take into consideration the usual things that divide groups of people, right? The usual tribal boundaries and fence lines to us are not impediments for co-laboring in the kingdom, social status, ethnicity, faith background, you name it. We simply don't accept the usual tribal divisions. We push beyond those. What am I describing? I'm describing who we are as a church and why we're here. I say this a lot because it matters, and I mean this. God's dream for humanity has always been bigger than raising up a church. Do you know what he's in the game for? The whole shooting match. He wants it all back. Nothing less than all of it. He wants all of it back. Paul writes, he picks up on this idea in Colossians 1, and as best we can tell, this was probably a song that he's quoting as he opens his book to the church at, at, at the Colossian church. In verse 15, Paul writes, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And he's referring to Christ the Son. Verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Starting to sound a little bit like a Sean Colvin tune, isn't it? I can imagine this. Sorry, I painted a bathroom, and every time I paint, I listen to nothing but Sean Colvin. So I'm a little Sean Colvinized at this point. If you don't know who that is, I pity you. Spotify. Verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. And listen to these words. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. All of the fullness of the Father to dwell in the Son and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Not just your tradition or your little church family or your version of kingdom, but all things through Christ are being reconciled back to the Father. And it goes on to say whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's a big vision for what God is up to in the world. You see, the work of God through Christ is cosmic. It's not tribal. 
It's not buried in a tradition. It's tectonic. It is way bigger than anyone can get their head around. It is literally the business of melding heaven and earth together as it was in the life, in the teaching, in the spirit, in the posture of Christ the Son. What does it take to be part of a kingdom like this? What, does it, what would it take for us as a group of people in South Austin to be part of something like this? I don't think it's complicated. Two things come to mind. Number one, we have to stay humble. What do I mean by this? We have to hold on to our tradition as a tradition, not the tradition. Do you know the difference? Have you ever been in that church that literally believes it's the only one? I was part of that church for most of my life. I'm not referring to recently, but as a child growing up, I was part of a movement in Latin America that drove past every other thing going on in the city with our nose in the air because we were the only ones doing it right. We have to stay humble if we're going to engage what God is doing in Austin. There's no other way. Why? Because we have one little piece of the tapestry. And if we think we've got it all, next thing you know, our only goal is to convert everyone to our movement. This is clearly not what we're about here. If you can't tell that by now, stick around a while. Ours is a tradition, not the tradition that makes all the difference in the world. What does it take to be part of this kingdom work? We have to be humble. Number two, we must stay curious. We have to literally be on the hunt at all times for what is the kingdom doing? What is God up to when you're in traffic, when you pull up to that light, when you're in that situation? What is God up to? Since we know we don't have it all, we have to stay curious about what else is God doing in Austin? What else is he doing in South Austin? Hear me out. I don't mean that we have to despise our own thing or deny that we believe in the way we do our community of faith. I love what we represent. I love what we see clearly, but hear me. It's one thing God is doing. It's not the only thing God is doing. It takes humility and curiosity to engage the kingdom. What gets in our way? Well, generally, disunity, division, discord, disagreement, arguing about whether this is important or that is important. And you know what's amazing is that Jesus saw this when he prayed for us in John 17. These amazing words that to my knowledge, is the only time anything quite like this is preserved in the New Testament. You see, diversity and difference come built into the human endeavor. We're always going to drag into our spaces our notions of what needs to be true for everyone, and we're always, to some degree, going to try to fight to have the voice that says how things are, and always the gospel is going to have us back away and say, God is up to something bigger. But diversity and difference and the, and the desire to exclude one another based on these shades of gray, this comes built in, and Jesus knew this. And he prays for us in John 17. After praying for his disciples, the ones who are immediately there, in verse 20 he says this, and there's something important we need to catch here. Verse 20, says, this is literally Jesus praying. It's preserved by John. My prayer is not for them alone, meaning the 12, right? I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. You see the the rhythm again? As it is in heaven, let it be here on earth. Lord, let them be one like you, Father, you and I are one. Verse 23, I in them and you in me so that, so that they may be brought to complete unity. 
Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them uh, even as you loved me. Father, I want those who you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, through the world, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you sent me. You get what he's saying. He's looking down the barrel of time, looking at how we're going to divide and subdivide, and we're going to wall each other off, and we're going to say they're wrong and they're right, and we're in and they're out, and Jesus is saying, Lord, let them work together the way you and I work together. Distinct, yet the same. Unity. Jesus says that what he wants is for us to be one like he's one with the Father. The fellowship and the unity of the Father and the Son is the gold standard of working together. Now, most of us don't ever need to dig so deep into theology to understand exactly what we refer to when we say the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, and God that exists in Father, Son, and Spirit. But let me just tell you this, time and time again in Scripture, Jesus, Paul, Peter, they're all appealing back to the same reality to say, this is why we must be one, because the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are one. Let it be here on earth as it is in heaven. Those words keep echoing through. When we pray the way we ought to, as Jesus commands, this humble and curious posture towards what God is up to in the world is literally a way that we own the reality that we are not alone. Father, Son, and Spirit are in unity. This is our example and the pattern we follow. We reenact that unity of the Godhead here on earth. Now, not later, but here on earth. You see, this isn't just us selling insurance policies to get people out of the flames when they die. This is about making real, right now, a kingdom that will transcend all little divisions of it and is literally inviting people into the life of the Godhead now. I'm reading a great book by Richard Rohr. It's his new one. It's called The Divine Dance. The cover of the book is that famous old painting, that Russian uh, Orthodox painting from the 14th century. Have you ever seen it? It's by a guy named Rublev, and there's, there's God, the, the Spirit, and, and the Son sitting at a table. And what's fascinating about this piece of art is that art historians say that center piece, right center lower, right here, there's some glue residue on the canvas. Have you ever heard this story? It's the iconic painting of the Trinity, one of the oldest, one of the most moving paintings of the Trinity. It's not very big, but it's a small, humble work, and there's this glue residue because the original uh, painter literally glued a mirror there because the truth about the Godhead and the co-operation of the, of the Trinity is that there's a fourth person considered as part of that, and that's you and that's me. If this fellowship of the Godhead is the rationale by which we do kingdom work, you were always seen as part of that. So this doctrine of the Trinity that took us 340 some odd years to figure out how to talk about after Christ did the deal and ascended on high, three centuries later we finally come up with the words to say, this is what he's talking about. And 10 centuries later, the Russian painter paints a mirror and glues it to the frame and says, this is the original idea. You see, when Christ is pushed, when he is looking at the situations that we would encounter, he says, oh God, let them be one like we are. Let them work together like we work together. What is the antidote to division? It's unity. It's a robust understanding of how the Trinity exists, separate persons, separate phases, but all existing to do to accomplish this one great redemptive work. So I mentioned this before, but the sermon series is calling us back to our roots as a body 
And the question we're considering today is how do we partner? With whom will we partner? One of the truest things about us as a church is that we're going to push that boundary. We've always pushed it. We're going to push that. We're part of a redemptive movement of God that transcends any single church tradition. I'm going to be honest with you. It's difficult sometimes to teach my daughters that that there's something valuable in all great Christian traditions. Some of them are so judgmental. They're so offensive to me. I just, they rub me wrong. I'm just being straight, being honest. The truth is, God is up to some things in places that I just don't want to find him. I would, much, I would feel so much more comfortable if I could just say, yeah, he's not really there. They're just making all that up. God's doing a rich, a rich thing in the earth today. We can see it. We don't have it yet, but we can see it. We see a church in Austin that is humble and curious enough to join the work of God in our city, even if that means linking arms with people who value things a little different than we do. So what? What does this mean? Well, for starters, it means this is a very different kind of church. If you're visiting today for the first time, you're like, yeah, mm mm-hmm. Weird, cold in there, they're strange. I'm just telling you, this is a very, very, it wasn't cold enough for the guitar player to play any slough licks. Did y'all get into that little turquoise guitar? Holy cow, I think the temperature of the room went up 10 degrees. telling you. It's not cold enough to make his fingers stiff, apparently. But this is a very different church. This is a very unique church. Peel back the curtains and what you're going to see is very different. We're willing to work with brothers and sisters of different traditions. It's just who we are. And we're even willing to open-heartedly work with nonprofit organizations doing kingdom work in Austin that do not have as a stated goal the growth and expansion of our church. You get that? It's a big deal. I wonder if you know how rare that is. Did you ever notice when we go downtown for Easter, how much money do we spend on flyers that promote our church services? Exactly zero. How odd is it for us to have no answer when they say, so where do you, where, you know, where's your church? Oh, we're in South Austin. But hey, this pair of boots, this came from somebody in Des Moines who felt called by God to donate boots. If you don't know what I'm talking about, we do a spectacular Feed the Homeless and bring dignity to that community on Easter. We spread tables with tablecloths and we bring them boots that are purchased by people from around the country. Why? I'll tell you why. Not because we're growing a church. Here's what we have understood. To encounter the poor is to encounter Jesus, period. You want an ROI on that? There's your ROI. You walk away impacted. You open your garage door differently and look at what God has provided for you differently. You roll up into your house when it's 73 even degrees in your two stories and it's 17 outside. You do that differently when you've seen Jesus in the face of people who are eking it out on the streets. That's your ROI. It's kingdom. It's not church. It's bigger. It's kingdom. And we are open-hearted to all of what God is doing in Austin. So you know this by now. But we're a church that's committed to preserving tension while we remain on task of the work of the kingdom. Here's the bad news. We can never bottle it. We can't ever find the secret sauce. There's no handles. It doesn't go home with us. It doesn't travel in the trunk of our car. It's constantly pushing, constantly pulling, constantly driving us on, constantly asking us to look at the lines differently, to be about things differently, to hold certain things a little looser, and to embrace the gospel in Austin more profoundly. You know, we have core values. They're also there. 
written somewhere. There simply, the Bible is, is, is God's word and can be trusted. As we know from 2 Timothy, we hold on to that. We are thoroughly orthodox in that regard. We believe that there is one God revealed to us in three persons. We're deeply Trinitarian in all of those orthodox ways, and there's scriptures related to that as well. We believe that salvation is found through Jesus Christ. We understand that the greatest thing God ever said was his son, Jesus Christ. We know that. We, we know that the church should be a blessing to the community and to the world, according to Ephesians in the book of James. We know that the greatest commandment is to love God and to love others. Jesus himself summarized the law and the prophets and the poets in that way. We know that. We hold to that. We know the way of Jesus is lived out in relationships with others. This can't be done alone. We know that. That's fundamental truth for us. It's a core value. And we know that we're created to glorify God and share the good news of Christ. But outside of those values, guys, there's a big thing going on in the earth today. The invitation for us is to join it or not join it. And you are part of a church that is gonna always push to be part of what God is doing. Bold and innovative partnering, that first value, that first vision piece. I hope, I hope that means something to you. We're getting back to basics. We're gonna talk a little bit about who we are in the next couple of weeks. It's time to refocus on our role in this town and what we're up to. Welcome to 2017. That's what we're gonna start off the year. So jump to your feet and let's pray.